All right, get your Bible out, if you would, and I want to go back to where we started last Sunday. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. It says, Guard your heart above all else. And I want to really drive this home, the seriousness of this challenge from the Lord. How I many know when the Holy Spirit says above all else, that means guarding our hearts should go to the top of the list of what we do in life. And, and how we learn to do that through the different seasons is critical. Here's why it's critical. Because your heart is going to determine the course of your life. This is huge. If you lose heart, you lose your life. If you lose your heart, you lose passion. You you lose your vision. You lose your purpose. You end up losing everything if you lose your heart. And I share with you that guarding your heart through the various seasons of life has got to be the great business of every believer. Last week we were in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26, where there was an incredible promise that we've received from the Lord. It says, God has given us a new heart, and God's given us a new spirit. Are you grateful for your new heart? And you have a new spirit. In other words, your spirit's not like everybody out there that doesn't know Christ. You have a different spirit, and that different spirit sets you apart, and you have a different heart. That passage goes on to say that you once had a stony and stubborn heart, but now you've received a tender and responsive heart. Praise the Lord for that. My heart this morning towards you is tender, and my heart towards God is responsive. You know why? It's not because of me, it's because of Him. That's the heart He gave me at new birth. That's your heart. It's tender. It matters. It cares. It's the heart of Jesus. How many of you know the greatest Bible verse, the shortest Bible verse, for all of us who had a hard time memorizing Scripture? Jesus wept. How many of you are grateful for that verse in the Bible? Every one of us can memorize at least one Bible verse. Jesus wept. But think about the impact of those two words. It means Jesus' heart was tender and responsive. God cried. God, Jesus Christ, the ultimate man, wept over our pain and our suffering and over our hurt. I mean, that is awesome which means you can never accuse the Lord of not being near and dear to you at life's uh, toughest times because he understands pain like nobody else. And his heart is tender and responsive. And that's the heart that we get when we're born again. Now, here's the point of this message. Our job is to guard it. Like, here is the treasure you've received. Guard it, protect it, care for it, nurture it, because if you lose your heart, you lose it all. And I just want to remind you, that's exactly what Satan's after, is your heart. We go through all kinds of seasons of life, but Satan has the same goal. It's to take you out. It's to hurt you. It's to damage your heart. It's to break you. It's to neutralize you. And listen, it's ultimately to kill you. That's what he's doing. What is his job right now? Everything I just described. Does he ever take a break? No. Does he ever stop his his attack on you? No. Does he ever stop trying to take you out personally? No. This is war. And we have to go through life knowing that my heart, the center of my being, is the most valuable part of who I am. And I've got to guard it. And so life is filled with seasons. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season. 
a time for every activity under heaven. And that verse goes on to say there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time to sow. There's a time to reap. How many of you have noticed in your life, if you've been on planet earth for any length of time, every season of your life is not the same? That's why I love being a Midwesterner. There are people that live places that only have one season. You're deceived, all right? I love looking out right now. My, my blazing maple in the backyard is in all of her glory. Now, what comes after all of her glory? She loses all of her leaves, all right? And I'm out there raking them up and cleaning out the gutters and doing what you guys are doing right now, too. And then comes the frost, and then comes the winter. And we don't always like that, do we? We shovel driveways. And, but then what comes? And man, you get excited like I do. The flowers start coming up and you feel the warmth in the air. And you can tell, come on, spring is at hand. Summer's around the corner. How many of you know life's the same way? Life's the same way. Sometimes we don't appreciate the springtime until we've been through a winter season. But the winter season is never to destroy us or to hurt us or to harm us. The winter season always has God's purpose embedded in it for something good for us and, and for his glory. So life is filled with seasons. Every season is different. But here's what I want you to understand. Every season comes with its own set of temptations or its own demonic scheme. In other words, Satan uses the seasons of our life. He has a scheme in every season. How I many know we're going to talk this morning about the, the scheme of scarcity or lack there's a scheme there to take us out, but there's also his scheme during seasons of prosperity and abundance. It's just different, but the end result is the same. And so we have to learn the strategy for guarding our hearts in the various seasons of life. So let's talk this morning about guarding your heart in seasons of scarcity. And here's the big, big temptation in the season of scarcity, is when you're feeling squeezed, what usually comes out of our mouth? I know this by example. Complaining. I know there's no complainers out here, but have you ever felt your bank account get a little shaken? You, maybe you look at your checking account, you're like, whoa, how am I going to pay the bills this month? And what comes out of your mouth naturally is, praise the Lord, I know God's going to provide for you. No, that's not what comes out of your mouth naturally. What comes out of your mouth most naturally is we begin to be gripped by a little bit of fear and anxiety, and then complaining starts to fall out. Am I talking to the right crowd? And, that, and how many know when you're complaining, you're not in agreement with God? And when you're not in agreement with God, you have no hope for deliverance. So that's a scheme of the devil. If the devil can get you on his side, what's the devil do? He's a whiner, a complainer, a liar, an accuser. If he can get us doing his stuff, then God can't do his stuff. I mean, you know, this is really, really important what I'm trying to lay out here. Look at what Paul says, Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. The King James says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know the secret of living in every situation. That phrase, every situation, is really describing all the different seasons we go through and circumstances we go through in life. Listen what the incredible Holy Ghost-filled Apostle Paul said next. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty stomach, plenty or little. In fact, the very next verse says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we never read the verse before it. 
The verse before it says, I can do all things, meaning I can live a God-glorifying life even when my stomach is growling because I have not had anything to eat. Do you all remember when the, when the Lord delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt? you all remember that story? They came out loaded with stuff. All that Egyptian stuff, gold, silver, you all remember that? The problem was there were no Walmarts in the wilderness. Which meant all that stuff wasn't going to do anything. They couldn't eat the gold and silver to fill their stomach. God sent them on a little three-day fast. You all remember that? Why did God starve them for three days? He didn't starve them, but he gave them a three-day fast. Why did he do it? To reveal what was in their hearts. He was trying to get Egypt out of their hearts. And you all remember what they did after three days of walking around with nothing to eat. They started throwing a holy fit. They wanted to kill the leader. You brought us out here. God's trying to kill us. How I many, you know, all that happened because they missed a couple meals. How many of you have ever been fasting for Jesus? And by like day three, you want to kill people. You know? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how a little bit of scarcity causes us to want to murder people? A little bit of scarcity, our stomach growling, causes us to act in ways that are very ungodly. When provision seems short, our comfort levels get upset, and then we get squeezed. And I want you to pay attention to this. What happens in you when there's a squeeze on your finances? You know, you were saving up that money for that new appliance, and then, you know, you had this thing come up, or, you know, you're all excited about the holidays and you got laid off, or I've known people that their, their house burned down, Dick and Susie Bash, their, their house burned down, we've had others, your house burned down, you didn't have that on the to-do list, my house is going to burn down today, you know, that came unexpectedly, what do you do in times when the squeeze is on, that's the question, how about Job's wife, now, I don't like to pick on Job's wife, because how many know she, That woman went through incredible heartache, probably unmatched, unparalleled heartache. So I'm I'm actually, I I have mercy and grace for Job's wife. Anybody else with me on that? But I just want to give you a principle here you got to watch. When the squeeze came on and she went through incredible scarcity in terms of losing family, losing her husband's health, her comment was, cursed God and die. I mean, that's a woman who's lost her heart. When you curse the fountain, you can't expect to have any water in the well. When you curse the source of your blessing and provision and your life, you literally cut off your source of life, and the result is you die. Now, she didn't physically die, but you know what? She spiritually died. Her her heart died at that moment. She was overcome with grief. She lost her heart. And look at what Job said. You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things? In other words, should we expect only prosperity in times of blessing from the hand of the Lord and never anything bad? In other words, never go through a season of hardship or loss or lack. We're encouraged, and I want to encourage you with this, you're encouraged to complain to God, but you're never encouraged to complain about God. I mean, you know, there's a big difference. Thank God for David and thank God for the Psalms. David never shied away from venting his frustration and venting his pain and venting his disappointment to the Lord. But how many of you know the Psalms never end with David attacking the character of God? 
Satan always attacks the character of God. Where's God? Where's God doing? Hey, you prayed to God. God didn't listen. I thought God was going to bless you. Your bank account doesn't look blessed right now. Does, Does the devil talk to you the same way he talks to me? It's always an attack against the nature and character of God Almighty. And so Job says here, come on, what are you doing? What, why, are you, why are you talking that way? And why? How about this? You know, I've heard people say when tough times happen, you say, why me? And we all, we all go there, right? Why me? Can I just ask you a different question? Why not you? In other words, what exempts me or what exempts you from a season of hardship? Like, why are you special? Why, why do you get to be exempt from life in a fallen, broken world where we're not home yet. Why are we exempt from that? Why, why are we somehow get a get-out-of-jail-free card because we're lovers of Jesus and somehow we don't have to go through hardship or lack? That's just not the way seasons work. Seasons come and seasons go, and it's easy to trust the Lord when your bank account is full, but what happens when it's not so full? And let me just say this, just to liberate everybody. Thank God for the body of Christ because... There will be a season in your life when these things get tested. And the, re- the reason they get tested is because God's concerned about your heart. Because guess what you're, what's the only thing you're taking with you? Remember, Job said later in that chapter of Job chapter 1, he said, I came into this world naked, and I'm leaving this world the same way. That's a good reminder for us Americans, is it not? We're not taking anything with us except one thing, our hearts that are going to live eternally. Our spirits are going to live eternally. So he reminded us of the transient nature. But let me just tell you, like if you were Pastor Dick and Susie and your house burned down with all your belongings, do you think you would need the church at that time? Did the church rally around you? Okay. And, And here's what I want to say. We have an account here that exists to help people when they're going through a season of lack. And if you're going through a season of lack... Never be too prideful or think that you don't need to say, Pastor, can you help us right now? Because we've gone through some unforeseen circumstances. But here's the beauty of it. It's the church's chance to shine and to bear burdens and to love people. And we do it joyfully. But let me give you a first world scenario. I actually had someone come to me one time. They said, Pastor, would the church be able to help us? I said, sure, what's going on? Well, we've been in a really rough time. We've had to dip into our personal savings. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) You had to dip into your personal savings. You had to sell some assets. Oh, sure, we would love to come around you and help you with your NIPSCO bill so that you don't have to sell the property that you have or cash in on your, you know, your retirement fund. Are you kidding? I mean, you know, these are first world problems. 90% of the world does not even think that way. You guys are getting quiet on me. We are so incredibly blessed monetarily in this country. But I don't know where we're headed. I don't know what season that we're in. And I said this this morning. I really believe, how many of you believe if we got what we deserved, what we deserve right now as a nation is the judgment of God? I mean, no, no we, the best we can do is get on our face and say, Lord, forgive us for the way we've dishonored you and wasted our blessings on ourselves. Forgive us. And the reason I believe we're under judgment is because I don't believe 
we would be making the governmental decisions that we're making because they're so stupid without divine help. In other words, it takes, it takes God to help us destroy ourselves the way our leadership is currently destroying ourselves. For instance, the first act of the new administration was to kill the pipeline that was producing energy independence. Why would you create dependence on other nations and cause inflation to go up across the board unless you were under the judgment of God because you would have to be under the judgment of God to do something that ridiculous? So the signs of God's judgment are all around us. And I'm just telling you, in the midst of surging inflation, in the midst of growing economic uncertainty, here's what I'm asking. How is the church going to handle this season? Like, what's going to come out of us? What is going to be our response? Because we're coming into a new season. And I don't know what that season looks like, but how many of you know, you don't have to know how to walk through the season. You need to know the God who is in charge of all the seasons. The God who holds the seasons and the times in his hands. That's where our confidence lies. And so, let's learn from Habakkuk, the prophet, who was dealing with the nation under judgment. And here's the question I want to ask you. How do we keep our hearts from, com- free from complaining and fear when our outward needs are in short supply or missing altogether? Look what Habakkuk does. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty... Here's his heart, yet I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, and I'm going to be joyful in the God of my salvation. I mean, you know, that's somebody who's looking at everything around, the whole economic thing around him collapsing, and he's saying, nevertheless, I'm going to live in a joyful heart attitude toward the Lord and in an attitude of expectation because God is bigger than all of these things. You know, have you ever figured out that perhaps... God allowed you to go through a lean season to deepen your faith and to cause you to press in more to his promises. Maybe he's after you. Maybe he's wanting to expose areas of weakness in your heart, not to kill you or destroy you, but to set you up for greater exploits that are going to require greater faith and a greater ability to trust God in uncertain times. I think God has a wise purpose and an awesome purpose behind every season of squeezing. Now let me take a look. I'm going to give you three things we need to do when we're in a season of scarcity. Point number one, glean fresh perspective from the past. Glean fresh perspective from the past. I need to remind you this morning that some of the best, most anointed of God's servants have experienced seasons of suffering and lack. Can I just say that again? Some of God's finest have gone through seasons of lack. Now, I'm going to hold this intention because we're going to get to it in just a moment, so bear with me. Pastor, are we supposed to celebrate lack? No. Pastor, are you saying poverty is godliness? No. Bear with me. But I am saying this. If some of God's finest have gone through seasons of hardship and lack... Why should we be exempt from the process? In other words, why do I think my situation is unique? Why am I this one-of-a-kind person? 
can I just say this? I think we've set people up in the church to think that you get an invitation to join a country club or the love boat instead of this is a battleship and we're in war. And then we wonder, we wonder why when people's hearts get tested, they turn on God and they don't come to church and they give up on their faith and they think that somehow the world offers better solutions. They lost their heart. I think they lost their heart because maybe we didn't tell them the whole truth about following the Lord. Let's take a look at the Apostle Paul's testimony. This is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 11. Even now, even now, at the present moment when Paul's writing this epistle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now we're hungry and we're thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm, and we're often beaten, and we have no home. While he's writing this epistle to us, this is the condition and the season of his life. Let me summarize that for you. Hungry, thirsty, cold, physically abused, and homeless. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And what's he doing? He's on on mission. He's writing an epistle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so we could be encouraged now. In other words, That's not where he's living, but that's the season that he's in. And he's not shocked by it. It all comes with the territory. Let me ask you all this question. Whatever happened to the virtue of sacrifice? Like whatever happened to this virtue that says, my personal comfort is not as important right now to the mission or to other things. In other words, life isn't about just keeping me in the comfort bubble. There are things more important than life itself. I mean, folks, we just celebrated Veterans Day. We just celebrated the fact that people have been willing to die for freedom and for liberty and for things that are greater than comfort. And yet, somehow in the church, I wonder, whatever happened to that virtue called sacrifice? Like, yeah, I could do this thing right here, but I'm going to take this money that we have and I'm going to invest it in this thing over here because this thing over here is eternal while this thing over here is temporary. So I'm going to willingly, joyfully sacrifice this for this. It's not really a sacrifice when you see it from God's perspective either, but that's the language we use. How about King David? I love this passage in 1 Samuel 25. David's running from Saul. How many of you know running from Saul for decades is not comfort? How many of you know running from Saul is called scarcity? And in this situation with, remember Nabal, he's basically, David's men are kindly begging Nabal. He said, would you please be kind to us because we've, we've come here and you guys are all celebrating. Please share any provision that you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. That was a nice way of saying, David and his men don't have anything to eat. And would you share some of your stuff with us because we're running for our lives. Can I just tell you something? When you're in a season of scarcity, don't associate it with the disfavor of God. Why am I going through this? God, don't you like me? God loves you. God's never leaving you. God's never forsaking you. God has allowed his finest to go through the same season. It's a compliment. Some of you didn't buy that. I could tell by your face. (laughs) 
I'm serious. It's a compliment that God is allowing you to walk through something and he's going to do something crazy awesome in you and something supernatural as you walk through it properly. Remember when David's men are hungry, they actually went into the temple. This is in Matthew chapter 12. And they ate the consecrated bread that was only for the priests. Why did David eat the... Basically, he went in and ate the communion bread. Why did he do it? I'm going to give you the profound spiritual answer. Because he was starving. (laughs) And God blessed it. Let me talk to you about Jesus. The devil will always try to get you to judge the Lord and to act like almost like this. And here's, here's why it's the biggest lie possible. There's only one human being who suffered in every way like every one of us and knows exactly what you're going through in your moment of scarcity and need and suffering. His name is Jesus. He was born in a manger. His parents were so poor, they didn't offer the, 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 the yearling lamb, they had to offer a couple of pigeons. Why did they offer pigeons at Jesus' uh, uh, sacrifice for Jesus, the purity sacrifice? Why did they offer pigeons? Because they didn't have the money for what the other folks could afford. Jesus was born in physical poverty. And he said this, Matthew 8, 20, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was often hungry. Jesus was tired, the Bible says. Jesus was thirsty. In fact, on the cross as he died for us, he cried out that he was thirsty. You all know the story. Why why do we somehow want to remove Jesus from scarcity and lack and suffering? Not that he lacks anything. He's God. But he lived on planet Earth to identify with us, and that was a season that he went through. How many know there was a great resurrection after that season? And there will be a resurrection in your life after your season. But you still got to go through the seasons. And the reason Jesus went through the season is to help us go through the season. So that we can't ever say, well, you don't understand. Jesus, you had it made. And Jesus, you were God. Jesus, you I've heard Christians try to take again a, a doctrine of prosperity, which I believe God wants to prosper his people. We're going to get to that next. But they twisted and suggested somehow Jesus was like a millionaire. Just, you know, he had it all. Jesus was, wasn't poor. He was rich. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Jesus had to depend on the Father for everything. And there were seasons he went through when his stomach was growling and he didn't have enough to drink. In fact, I want to give you a a, a book uh, suggestion that next to the Bible, I want to say this is a book every one of you should have on your shelf and you should read it on a regular basis. Everybody ready? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read it. It will remind you that we're living in one of the most blessed and prosperous and cushy times in all of human history in America. We should be the most thankful, generous, awesome, giving, upbeat, joy-filled people on planet Earth. No one's cutting off our heads, burning us alive for simply reading our Bibles. Anybody excited about that? I'm pretty fired up about it. I'm grateful for that. But it's happening all over the world right now today. What it does is it, it wipes away all the American icing, and it, here's what it asks you. Is your life willing to be laid down for the gospel? Is Jesus everything, or is he just part of it? Is Jesus just exists as our helper to help us get through all the rough stuff in life, or is he our life? Is he everything, or is he just the icing? 
Let me get to the second point here because you guys are talking too much. All right, second point. I said, first of all, we want to glean fresh perspective. Read about the saints of old. Secondly, gather God's promises for present provision. Can I just tell you this? The truth of the Bible has to be kept in perfect tension. When people overemphasize one thing to the exclusion of the other, you end up getting off into extremes. Now, there are, there are people in the church that actually glorify poverty. Can I just tell you, poverty is from the devil. Poverty is from the devil. We don't celebrate poverty. Poverty is not something spiritual. But can I tell you something else? We swing over on the other side, and we make an idol out of physical prosperity. And we actually suggest that if you're super spiritual, you're rich. And if you're not rich, then somehow you don't have enough faith. Can I just tell you something else? That's of the devil. That's of the devil. It's equally of the devil because it's an ungodly extreme. Here's what you do. Look at Psalm 34. You gather promises and you fight for present provision. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all that they need. I mean, that's an incredible promise. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust the Lord will lack no good thing. Now, I love this. Even strong lions go through seasons when strong lions are hungry. Any strong lions out here this morning? Come on. We're called to be lions of the tribe of Judah. Come on. But even strong lions go through seasons when their stomachs are growling. But the Bible promises those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Look what David says in his senior years. Once I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Can anybody say praise the Lord there? In other words, he's lived through all the seasons of life. And he says, I was once young and now I'm old. I've never seen God's righteous kids begging for bread. How about Psalm 23.1? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have all that I need. All through the scriptures, I just gave you a smattering of them. But how many of you know the purpose of a promise is so that you fight in the present? So if you're going through a season of lack, you don't just roll over. You put your faith in the Lord and you encourage your heart with the promises of God. You, hear me. You encourage your heart with the promises of God. I've shared this before. I believe as we live in the kingdom, God's general plan for our lives is to prosper us. Why? So that we could prosper the kingdom, so that we could use resources for blessing other people, so we could further the agenda of the Lord. How many of you think that's a good reason to be prosperous? To whom much has been given, much is required. I'm going to keep believing not for scarcity, but for blessing, supernatural blessing. The Bible is full of supernatural blessing. But that doesn't mean we do not sometimes go through seasons. Everybody say seasons. Seasons have a beginning and an ending. And if you're in the middle of that season, don't quit. Guard your heart. I've heard people say, Pastor, man, as soon as I started tithing, I lost my job. <laughs> and they're not happy. What do I tell them? Thank God you started planting some seed instead of eating it all. Thank God you started living in the fear of the Lord instead of living for yourself. Thank God you started your obedience. 
Now, don't curse the seed or the fact that you're not eating yet when it takes a season for that stuff to sprout and to grow. And don't be surprised that God's testing your heart and your motives that as soon as you acted in obedience, the devil came to rob you. Does that mean that the devil's stronger than God? No. Does it mean that you're going to stay out of work your whole life? No. What it does mean is this. What's going on in your heart? Because God doesn't care about the outside. He doesn't care about writing the big check. Hey, I wrote the big, he could care less. What is your heart? And do you trust him? So when you're, again, you got these big plans, whoa, and something goes wrong over here, and all that money just evaporated because now you're paying this bill over here. What's going on in your heart? Do you say, God, how come you did this to me? You say, God, thank you that I had this stored up because I didn't know about this need that was coming that you provided for. Lastly, let me share this with you. Gain perspective with eternal principles. Here's the principles I want you to keep in mind. How many of you believe God's grace gives you more than you and I deserve? That's called grace. Anybody in here? Worthy of Jesus' death for you? Okay. Anybody in here worthy of eternal life? Anybody going to get there on the basis of your good works and just because you're awesome? Okay, I didn't think so. Everything that we have comes by grace. And I mean, you know, we have more than we deserve. All of us. Look what the Bible teaches in James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So notice how this works. If you want to be rich in faith, that means you have to exercise faith, which means if you're going to be exercising faith, there has to be a reason for you to have to exercise faith. Does this make sense? In your season of scarcity, it's not because God's going to keep you there. It's so you can exercise faith. And if you're in that season and you exercise faith, you become rich in faith. And can I just tell you this? In this world where everything is so short-lived, where it's all about the material stuff that's going to be gone, can I just tell you, thinking about eternal things properly makes you rich. And having a strong faith in a godless society makes you rich. And believing in eternity and what is waiting for us causes you to think properly about stopping comparing yourself to the neighbors right now on whether or not you got the latest and the greatest and start focusing on being rich in faith. In fact, I want to encourage you if you could, if you could work on your financial portfolio. How many of you are filthy rich in faith? And should we be filthy rich in faith? Yes, we should be. So embrace the challenges and embrace the scarcity because something is coming on the other side that is there to build you up and strengthen you and cause you to go deeper and cause you to be more valuable in the kingdom than you've ever been before. What good are you as soon as the economy shrivels up? Do you know how much milk is? Oh, my God. If milk can knock you off your horse... If the price of gasoline makes you want to stay in bed, what good are you to the kingdom of God? If a cow with milk will neutralize your faith. I'm just saying. 
So let's not complain. Let's embrace whatever seasons we're going through with our eyes on Jesus, treasuring him, prizing him, letting our faith build in the midst of tough times so that we're worth something to the kingdom of God. Second point, this is important. My suffering is momentary. 2 Corinthians 4. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. This is what I want you to hear. In the midst of your worst day on planet Earth, when the pain is unbearable, compared to what is coming for you, please hear me, compared to what is awaiting you, what you're going through is small. Now, now, I, I know I'm stepping on thin ice here. Please hear me. I'm not saying your pain is not painful, big in your own heart, or inconsequential, or it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying feel the depth of the pain and take your eyes on the promise of God and tell yourself, as much as I'm hurting right now, this is small compared to what awaits me. And not this is momentary. Even I think of my dear brother Alex, 17 years basically trapped in a body that was victimized by a stroke. Very much alive on the inside. Very much a bright, sharp, brilliant man on the inside. Trapped in that body for 17 years. I'm putting this in context. What he went through in human terms, huge. What he went through in eternity, small, momentary. And what I love about Alex, Gene, he never lost the faith. He finished the course. He ran the race. And therefore, the Bible says what's waiting for him is a crown of righteousness and glory that will never fade and will never experience lack again or brokenness or pain or a body that's not working or, or whatever. So here's my point. Remind yourself of the truth. What I'm going through is momentary. There is glory on the other side of this that's priceless, and it's forever. That is awesome. Last point. My father is faithful, and your father is faithful. The Bible says don't worry about these things. What does Jesus speaking? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's all they think about. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. You know, one of my favorite books is John Eldridge's book, Fathered by God. And there's a quote in that book that I want to leave with you this morning. He says, you are the son or a daughter of a kind, strong, engaged father. A father wise enough to guide you in the way and generous enough to provide for your journey offering to walk with you every step. I mean, you know, that's the truth. It doesn't matter what you're going through, what season you're in. It doesn't matter how you feel right now. That is the truth. God is kind and strong and engaged, and he's a father in your life, and he's never going to stop fathering you. And if you can look at the season you're in and say, Lord, what, how are you trying to father me through this season? 
Let me ask you this question. If you're in a season of scarcity, could God not be fathering you so that he could actually bring you into a season of greater prosperity because he knows you'll steward it correctly instead of wasting it? I'm just asking. I also want to say something else. You know, Susie, I was reminded this morning of the sacrifices of those who have gone into lands where their gospel's never been preached. One of my favorite reads is uh, Adoniram Judson, Baptist missionary, went to modern-day Nepal, Burma area. He was the first voice of light and of the gospel in that very dark place. He went there with his young wife and little child. And when you read about the sufferings of that man in a demonized country full of idolatry, and you look at the hardship that he went through, and you look at literally his blood being shed and spilled in that land, and then you look at it in the moment, and you're like, Lord, why would you allow one of your choicest servants to go through the kind of suffering and scarcity and lack that he went through? His wife, while he was in prison, his wife was completely alienated, ostracized from the culture, and nearly starved to death many, many times. Why would this happen? Then you fast forward the video and you realize right now there's a thriving church in that part of the world that loves Jesus. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that have been impacted by Adoniram Judson's sacrifice. And this is what God says about Adoniram Judson's sacrifice. It was small and momentary compared to the glory that now awaits him and compared to the multitude of people whose lives were impacted because one man was willing to plant his life like a seed in the ground for the sake of the gospel to make that kind of a sacrifice and endure that kind of scarcity so people could experience life. These things matter to God. And listen, church, these things matter in our heart that we don't commit idolatry and we don't turn on God The minute we go through hardship, don't do it. Guard your heart. Keep tender. Keep responsive. Keep worshiping. Keep walking in the dark, believing that the sun is still shining on top of the clouds, that the sun never stops shining, even though sometimes we're living under the clouds of this life. But God's countenance is on you. God's favor is on you. God's smile is on you. God's affection is on you. Even in a tough season, none of that changes. And it's the tough seasons that cause the roots to go really, really deep. So I'm just encouraging us here today. There are people around you, I don't know if you thought about this, but there are people around you every Sunday whose soul is hanging in the balance because they're going through something that's really rough, and they got here, they showed up, they brought them their physical body and their heart here to church. But do you realize how important your contribution is to their healing? How important your, your praise is to their joy? How important the presence of the Holy Spirit is to somebody's future salvation and security in Christ because there's people whose hearts are under attack right now. And so what do you do? When I, when I say guard your heart, please hear this. I know I'm, I, this is my fourth closing. I apologize. <laughs> when I say guard your heart, 
I don't mean, Anthony, that I'm going to put up a wall against you because I'm so wounded. I don't want to let anybody get close to me. That, that's not the kind of guarding. I'm talking about putting everything down and being able to say, pray for me. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. Hey, pastor, how was your week? Well, it wasn't so great. I don't like doing two funerals and a hospital visit with a dear friend that might, might be dying. I don't like weeks like that any more than you. My heart hurts with stuff like that. It's one of the hardest parts of pastoring is you actually love people and you're hurt with people. So pray for your pastors that we love well. But listen, I don't ever, I don't ever want to stand behind this glass on some fake pedestal and make you think I'm Superman. I'm not Superman. I am like you. I need Jesus. I see so many pastors just throwing in the towel, quitting, giving up on the faith. It's because they lost their heart. So what do we do? We don't come in here with masks on and pretend that everything's okay. We learn to be vulnerable. This has got to be a safe place where sick people can come. And I'm just telling you, we're all sick, so that means you're at the right place. It also means this. If you confess that you're sick, we don't cancel you here. This is not cancel culture. This is kingdom culture. Amen. I had a dear woman just the other day, through tears, tell me that what was our church's stance on divorce and remarriage? Because she was told at her previous churches that because she had a marriage that failed, she was basically disqualified from ever serving again. She wasn't allowed to serve in the children's ministry because she had failed in her marriage. Can I just tell you something? If you failed in your marriage, we love you. And we want you to get back up. We want you to get your heart healed. And you're not disqualified. In fact, in some way, the pain of that season might have more qualified you for what God wants to do in your life, to touch some other people. So we're just going to love people. Is that okay with everybody? <laughs> and we're going to recognize, man, we're hurting on the inside, and people go through stuff. But you're welcome. 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 Father, thank you for this precious church family. Thank you for the friends to go through these journeys with. That when we feel like quitting, we got someone that's there to say, don't quit, we love you, we're for you. Your life matters. You're gonna get through this. This season's gonna come to an end. And Lord, we thank you for that promise. Every season does come to an end and there's a new chapter to be written. And Lord, we continue to say we believe we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're forever prisoners of hope. But Lord, I pray for those even right now that maybe are struggling with, with lack, with scarcity, with some need, with provision. Father, drill home deeply in their hearts the promises of your word and teach them in seasons of famine to trust you so that you can bring them into seasons of great blessing. Father, I pray for, for hearts here today. Lord, breathe fresh life into every one of us. We need more. We need more. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. 
come and fill us and heal us and change us. I just say lastly, if you're in need of just some personal touch, a hug, someone to pray with you, someone to agree with you, someone to fight with, with you during this season, I want to encourage you to come forward. We'll have our team up here. There's people that, that are excited that you're here and want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus today, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus because he's waiting to heal your heart. So, Father, thank you. Be glorified in us. Cause our roots to go deep. And, Lord, we're grateful. We, we don't ever want to complain. We want to be grateful all the time for all your blessings. So help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.